Thank you for joining us for another powerful message from the teaching ministry of Destiny Church. We hope that you'll be challenged and stretched to grow through today's message. But most of all, we hope that you'll encounter the Father's love. If you're in the greater Mobile Bay area, please join us for our weekend worship celebration. Or if you're looking for a church family excited for a revival, please come join us in bringing heaven to earth. So listen, our declaration, guys, is I will constantly guard my heart and align it with God's holy word for everything I do flows from it. Amen. Is that true? So our text, our scripture text today is going to be coming from 1 Samuel chapter 4, verses 21 and 22. Um, Those of you who like for us to pray before we get started, I've already done all of that. Trust me, I've done all of that. (laughs) But we're going to be reading for 1 Samuel chapter 4, verse 21 and 22. Um, You guys can follow along with me in your Bible apps or your Bibles. And when you have it, I want you to say, man, I don't want to read ahead of you. I want to read with you. Even our online viewers, we're so happy that you're watching this morning. First Samuel chapter four, verses 21 and 22, it says, and I'm reading from the Amplified version. Some of you guys may have another version, um, but still we can follow together. It says, and she named the child Ichabob saying the glory is departed from Israel because the ark of God had been captured and because of her father-in-law and her husband. She said, the glory is gone from Israel for the ark of God has been taken. So we've been in a sermon series entitled Vertical. And this portion of this series, I'm going to talk to you about Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. You guys have really caught me at a very sensitive place in my life because in all transparency and honesty, I have been in a place of humility with the Father. And I know some of you are saying, well, shouldn't you, shouldn't you always be there? Shouldn't you always be a place of humility? But sometimes there are certain things that happen in our life, certain things that we will experience in life that will cause us to bow a little lower. And in that place, I have been saying to God, I know nothing except you reveal it and I can do nothing except you come. That has been my cry. Like, God, I know that you've gifted me and you endowed me with a lot and there is an anointing that you placed on my life. But God, I'm really leaning and depending on you like never before because I realize even as a woman of God, even as a minister as the God of the gospel, that we are subject to the things of this world if we're not in Christ. The Bible says, be in the world, you're you're in the world, but not of the world. And Paul says it like this, I have to die daily, lest after I preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I myself become a castaway. And I know that we've been taught so many things that uh, the finished works of Jesus Christ, everything has been done. But I came to declare to you this morning that we have got to stay connected. The Bible says that if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask what you will and it shall be given. 
You shall ask what is a place of connection. It's a place of koinonia. It's a place of fellowship where I'm not depending on myself. The Bible says there is no good thing that dwells in my flesh. So my dependency, my reliance, my everything has been on the Lord. You caught me at a very sensitive place this morning. And so I'm here standing before the Lord and saying, God, I know nothing except you reveal it. I've studied, but I can do nothing except you come. In this place, the Lord has been revealing to me. I'm just setting the message up. The Lord has been revealing to me some hidden and some secret places in my own heart. I'm not talking about you, but I'm talking about me. He's been revealing some secret places in my heart that have moved me into a place of repentance because I'm like, God, I didn't even know that was there. I, I'm a living witness that if you really, really ask God, Lord, show me things about me, purify my heart, then he's going to show you. He's going to reveal things about you that he wants to cleanse, not for condemnation, but that he wants to show you how to purify before him. The word came last week to purify ourselves before the, before the Lord. And that's what the Lord has been doing. He's been showing me things. And I said, God, I didn't know that was there. But not only is he showing me problems, but he, he's also given me and showing me the solution. And so in this place, um, it, oftentimes what I've learned is that we hone in so much on fruit. Like what is going, we see the, 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 the fruit of what's happening. We see ourselves easily frustrated. We see ourselves easily irritated. And sometimes we find ourselves falling or getting into conversations or relationships that we shouldn't be in. That's the fruit of it. But can I tell you this morning, for every fruit, there is a root. The Bible says that a tree is known how? By the fruit it bears, by the fruit it produces, and I'll just translate fruit. Fruit is really just results. What kind of results have you been getting in your life? It's a result of a root. So the Bible says a tree is known by the fruit it bears, and I tell you that trees cannot bear fruit except there be a root. And so I believe, I am fully persuaded that Holy Spirit wants to unveil this morning the roots so that we can deal with or bear good fruit. Now, some of you are tracking with me. You may be saying, like, what in the world? What is God's, what in God's green earth does the glory departing happen has to do with fruit? Everything. Why? Because everything that God gives us in this life is going to come by way of a seed. Jesus came by way of a seed. The word is a seed. The Bible says a parable like this. The kingdom of God is as a man that planted seed, a scattered seed in the ground. Can I tell you that that former or that man, I don't know a lot about forming, but that man planting or scattering that seed in the ground, it took two, it it took two things. It took effort and energy. And we cannot just sit down and feel like that we're just going to experience the goodness of God and we don't partner with him. Or we don't have a responsibility. We don't have a role to play in his goodness being expressed in our lives. So everything that we receive from God is going to come by way of a seed. But we have a responsibility to do something with that seed. And this is called, my friend, a kingdom principle called stewardship. 
Stewardship. The glory of God is sustained through stewardship. What is stewardship? Stewardship is the ability to manage. It is the ability to manage another person's affairs. Now, if you look at stewardship in both the Hebrew and Greek, it has the same meaning, and that meaning is a manager. It's not an owner, but it's a manager. I want to take you uh, real quickly to the account of Jesus, but let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 2. Chapter 4 and verse 2, and I said to you that the glory of God is sustained through stewardship. And I told you that stewardship is management. In the kingdom, we are called to be managers, not owners. I know that may shake some of our paradigm a little bit because you may say, well, I own my company. I own my business. I own my home. But in the kingdom, everything that God gives us, he gives us in the form of management. I'm giving you this. I'm giving you to steward destiny. I'm giving you to steward whatever the name of your company, heavenly sense, whatever your company's name is. You're not the owner. You are the manager of it. The Bible says every good and perfect gift can from what above so everything that we have it comes from the Lord and the Bible says in first Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 2 it says now a person put in charge as a manager not an owner and another word for manager is steward and not now a person put in charge as a manager must be found what faithful so when God gives me something, I must be found faithful to steward it well. I'm telling you that the glory of God is sustained. Sustained meaning it continues. It goes uninterrupted through stewardship. Recall the story of Jesus when he was in the temple. And as they were traveling back from where they were, he was with his parents. They were on what you call, some people call a caravan. They was just walking along and as they were walking he had wandered off and he went somewhere else and his mother said to him as she went back and she finally realized that he was not there and she went back and she found him the bible says that she was he was in the temple teaching and listening and hearing the doctors and the lawyers he was only 12 years old but the bible says that when she asked him the question and he wasn't being dishonorable he was being truthful when he actually asked him the question, where have you been? What did you, why did you wander off? I'm paraphrasing him. She said, didn't you know? He said, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? He is the owner and I am the manager. He is the owner and I am the manager. In the kingdom, we are called to be managers, not owners. Then you recall Psalm 24 where it says, lift up your heads. We say this all the time in times of exhortation. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lifted up, you everlasting doors. And what is the result? And the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord strong and mighty. The Lord mighty in battle. He is the king of glory. Now let's just pause and talk about king. If you think about a king, a king is sovereign. A king is a ruler. A king is an owner, an owner. A king is supreme authority. 
So when we talk about the glory, the glory of God is owned by God, right? He is the king of glory. But we are the stewards or managers of glory. And guess what? Every house, every church, every organization can experience its own glory. The glory at my house may be different from the glory at your house. The glory at Destiny Church may be different from the church down the street. And it all depends on not what, we manu- not what we're manufacturing, but what we are stewarding well. Right? This is why that we don't get to do it the way we want to do it. We don't get to handle it. We're going to talk about that in a few minutes. The way we want to handle it because we are not owners. We are managers and we are called to steward it well. The glory of God is sustained through stewardship. Now, in the beginning of our message series, starting off with vertical, Pesarife um, introduced us to the Hebrew definition of glory, and that is kabag or kavag. It depends on from which way you're translating it. And that simply means I want you to pay attention, class, because you're going to have to have you're going to have a test in a minute. The glory of God, the kabag of God is his presence his power, and his goodness. What is the glory of God? And his goodness. His presence, his power, and his goodness. And he talked about in this series, Vertical, that when we emphasize our horizontal relationship, meaning our relationship with people, our relationship with each other, our spouses, our friends, our co-workers, even our church family. When we emphasize those relationships over our vertical relationship, which is our relationship with God, it does what? It minimizes the glory of God in our life. Doesn't minimize God's glory because he's glory. And as he stated before, that God is omnipresent, meaning that he can be everywhere at the same time. But just because he's there doesn't mean that I'm aware of his presence or I get to experience his presence. But the glory of God, the kabod of God is his presence, his power and his goodness. So the fact that when we are not stewarding the glory of God well or when we are emphasizing our horizontal relationships over our vertical relationships, it does minimize the glory of God in our lives, and we begin to experience what is called Ichabod. Ichabod is the opposite of the Kabod. Ichabod in the Hebrew is without glory. It means the glory has departed. And what is glory? His presence, his power, in his goodness. So when, when I, you, or anyone else, or a church, a family, is experienced Ichabod, Ichabod, that means that there is no glory. The glory of God has left. And we're going to see this play out in our text today where the Ichabod departs. Now, as we look into our foundational text back at 1 Samuel chapter 4 and verse 21 through 22, we see that Eli's daughter-in-law was in labor and delivery. And she was getting ready to bring forth a child. In the process of her delivery, she had gotten news. And this news brought her even to 
the, her labor pains begin to increase more. And you know as women, there are certain things that have to happen. We have to dilate and all these different things has to transpire before we can give birth to that child. But she began to go into birth immediately when she heard the news because she was not only in physical pain, but there was emotional pain from the news that she heard. So someone came and they told her, they said that the ark of God has to pass, the ark of God was taken. And they said that your father-in-law and your husband and your brother-in-law are all dead. And the Bible says that right there, while she was with the midwives, she began to go silent. But before she went silent, she named her son. They were telling her, but don't, don't, don't fear. Be of good cheer. You have brought forth the son, but she didn't say anything. But she named the child before this happened, and she named the child Ichabod, meaning the glory has departed. What strikes me with some level of question is, I didn't understand that both Eli's response and her response was the same. Eli died, she died. Eli became unraveled, not when he heard that his sons has, had died, but he came, became unraveled when he heard that the ark of God had departed. The glory has departed Israel. That means that there is no more presence. There is no more goodness. There is no more power. What are we going to do? And the Bible says e Eli fell backwards. The Bible says that he was a heavy man. He was about 98 years old in age. And he fell back off where he was sitting, kind of like Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. He fell back off the wall, broke his neck, and died. But it was not at the sound at his, of his sons. It was when he heard that the ark of God had departed. Now, these guys, his sons and Phineas, which was the, 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 his daughter-in-law's, as she was in, in labor and delivery, it was, Phineas was her husband. They didn't have a good reputation. The Bible called them vile men. Are y'all with me? The Bible called them vile men, meaning that they were wicked. These men were impure. They were detestable. In every other bad character word you can think of. These, this was a type of uh, reputation these men had. Here are some things that they were into. The Bible says that they were involved in sexual relationships outside of marriage. They were involved with the women at the temple gate. They would be just like somebody just randomly coming to the church. A sister comes in um, off the street or whatever kind of prostitution. Prostitution. They will just be with them. They would just sleep with them. They were doing all type of immoral things, but they were priests. And then the Bible says that when the people will offer up the offerings and the sacrifices unto the Lord. They would take more than their portion. They would take the, the people's portion and then they would take more than what was allotted for the priests. Now, it is said that the law mandated that the fat of the sacrificial offering, that it burned on the altar. 
but they didn't allow that to happen. They quickly snatched the offering. And what they would do, they would tell them to give them the raw meat. They didn't give them time to burn what was allotted or was supposed to be an offering unto the Lord. The Bible called them wicked and vile men, but they were priests. They were priests of the Lord. And as we go back to our message that Pastor Rife uh, ministered in this series it says that our primary role in the body of Christ is that of kingdom priests. Our primary responsibility is to minister unto, not for Christ. So when we look at the lifestyle and what these boys were doing, our priests were doing, it looks as if they were outside of covenant with God. Some translation called them the sons of Belial, Belial meaning they were also wicked and corrupt. Like God really, really had something against these boys. And he had warned Eli several times. He warned him. He came to him personally and told him, look, you need to do something with your kids. Then he came to him a second time by a man of God and told him what he was going to do to his children if he didn't get them in line. Then the third time he came by way of Samuel, which was a boy that was raised up in his house as a priest in prophet, a in a judge, and told him, get it right. Samuel had no idea because he, it was his first time hearing from God. Eli was helping him and assisting him to be able to hear from God, but he did not heed to the voice of God as it relates to his children. And the voice of the Lord came by way of Samuel and said, I'm going to judge the house of Eli for the sin that you did not correct. I am telling you, as kings and priests, we have a responsibility to steward the glory of God in our lives. The glory of God is sustained through stewardship. Now, we're looking at the lifestyle of these guys and what they've done. But the scripture says we are also kings and priests. I told you the, the primary responsibility of a priest is to minister unto the Lord. We'll talk about some more um, priestly functions, but the primary responsibility of a priest is ministering unto the Lord. How do I minister unto the Lord in worship? How do I minister unto the Lord in tithes and offering? How do I minister unto the Lord in my time of fellowship, my soaking, my time where I talk and commune with him? But as a king, I'm not just a priest, but I am a king also. I have the risk. What is a king? What does a king do? The king operates in dominion. That when I step outside of this house, the same way I live on this platform, I've got to live it out there. When I step outside of this house, the same thing I do here, I've got to do it on my job. The, when I step outside of this house, what I do here, I have to do it in my home. Because I am not just a priest, I am also a king. I am responsible for enforcing the kingdom principles. I am a representative of God in the earth. When they see me, they see Jesus. When you see me, you see the glory. And it has nothing to do with my physical, my physique, any of that. It's all about who he says I am and who he has empowered me and you to be. The glory of God is sustained through stewardship. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 1 and verse 6 that he has made us. I just told you that you are a king and a priest too. He has made us king and priest to who? To God, his father. And to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. 
Amen. So the same requirement or the same standards that were given unto the priests are also given to us. Why? Because we are priest and king. We don't have to have a mediator to go before us and offer sacrifices unto the Lord anymore. I don't have to wait for somebody to pray for me for me to be healed. Come on. I can go to God for myself on my own behalf because the veil that was, was between me and God has been ripped from top and bottom. When I'm sick in my body, I understand I can put on my priestly garment and I begin to lay on the altar before my, for myself and begin to offer sacrifices, not just for me, but on the behalf of my church, on the behalf of my family, on the behalf of my friends and watch this even on the behalf of my enemies because some of us want to hold things against those who have accused us and we feel justified in our forgiveness but listen the scripture says that if you hold iniquity in your heart the Lord will not hear you and I don't have time for God not to hear me I need to be heard from the Lord and I know some of you are saying how in the world wouldn't let me tell you something I've been with Jesus and when you spend time with the Lord, there is a boldness that he puts on you. Come on, when you have fallen short of his glory, when you've been through some things, I'm telling you that I've, I've done some things in my life that have caused the Lord to whip me at times and chastise me. But let the enemy know that God was not, that's just because he was disciplining me and chastising me. He was not done with me. He still loved me. And I came to tell somebody this morning that do not despise the chastening of the Lord because he chastened those that he loved. He's going to whip you back into alignment because you are his. I am his. And it feels good to be loved by God. Come on. I, lo I know my pastor loves me. I know uh, Shay loves me. I know my mother loves me. But it doesn't it matter how much they love me when I don't know that the Lord loves me. There's nothing about, there's nothing like having God wrap his arms around you and say, daughter, I'm doing this because I love you. Oh, God, Robosura, Naya. Y'all give me a minute this morning. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, God, we bless you. Oh, God, we bless you. Come on and worship him right there. Thank you, Lord. I heard Brian say in um, rally once before, it is the little foxes that spoil the vine. Sometimes we think it's so big. We think it is it's immorality. Well, I'm not sleeping around. I'm not doing this. But there's an attitude of dishonor in our heart that when some message comes from from our leaders or when God is saying something to us, well, I'm not doing it that way. I've been doing it this way all along. But God says, no, that thing can spoil the vine. And we've got to get that in, or in order. The Lord told me and I told my mentoring group that honor closes the door, honor opens the doors, that dishonor closes. God wants to deal with the root of the matters not just the fruit and maybe maybe we have a hard time following order or leadership because there were some things that happened in our childhood or maybe there were some times that people didn't speak to us well or maybe we were just allowed to do whatever but in God's house there is a standard in God's house there is an order that's why you find me saying, people may say, why is she saying is that? I don't feel slavery at all. Every time he's, yes, sir. No, sir. I don't go back to that foolishness because I know who I am. And I also know who God is. And so, yes, I honor. Yes, I respect. Because 
if God had not, we feel like so many times that I just need, all I need is God. I don't need, I don't need a man. Let me tell you, God used men. If God is going to do something in your life, it's going to come from heaven to earth by way of a man. And God wants to bless us, but we have to make sure, I don't even know how I got on that, but we have to make sure that we're in a place of honor so that we can receive. Remember, honor opens the doors, dishonor closes. Let's talk about the seven functions of how to sustain a culture of honor. Some of the things that a priest do or a priest would do in the Old Testament is worship. They will worship unto the Lord. I had the Ark of the Covenant back there, y'all, but I just totally forgot to bring it out. I just wanted to show you how it looked, but they had, they would spend time worshiping the Lord for themselves and on the behalf of the people. They live sanctified and set apart. This is why God had a problem with these priests because they lived any type of a way. But the priests were called to live a holy life. Then they kept God's commandments and his principles. Principles are fundamental truths that bring about a certain result, right? Principles are fundamental truths that bring about a certain result. It happens the same way every time. If you work the principle, it's going to work. But if we break principles, and we'll talk about that a little later, there are things that happen because there was a broken principle. They were also called to serve people. Their service to God enabled them to bring service to the people. And they were called to intercede or offer prayers for others. And then lastly, they were called, as we are called kings and priests, to proclaim the goodness of, the, of God, the goodness of God. Again, I share with you that the glory of God is sustained through stewardship. The absence of God, here's what the Lord said to me. I want to say to you because it was real good. The absence of God is the presence of the enemy. This is why it is so important to sustain or maintain the glory of God, not just in this house, but in your house, in your marriage. Because the Bible says it like this in one of the scripture texts. It says, give no place to the devil. How do I not give place to the devil? I give it all to God. Even when there's something off, I'm still surrendering, submitting all of me, the unlovely parts unto the Lord. Another scripture text says, like, says it like this. Where there is envy and strife, there is confusion and every evil work of the devil. Now, if you read your Bible, who is the author of confusion? Exactly. So the absence of God is the presence of the enemy. Where there is no God, there is no glory and there you will find the enemy. We must understand, even in this text, that when Israel went into battle against the Philistine, it's a little, little further, that the first time they were defeated because God was not with them. The second time they began to go through the motions, like sometimes some church people do, I have done. We go through the motions. We know God is not talking to us because we and God got some things that we haven't gotten together yet. And God is saying, no, I'm not with you on that. I love you, but we need to have a come to Jesus meeting. And they went into this battle the second time. And when they went into this battle, the Bible says that they realized the first time that they, they were defeated. So they said, I know 
Let's go and get the ark of God. The ark of God was symbolic or it was a replica of his presence to them. So they went to go and get the ark of God to bring it into battle. And when the Philistines heard that the ark of God was present because they knew before, whenever Israel would have the ark, the presence of God, they knew it meant their defeat. And so they were ready. They were expecting to be defeated. So he told, they told all their army, their soldiers, man, you got to fight harder than you ever fought before. We cannot be servants of the Hebrews. So you've got to bring it when you come this time. And so as they went into battle, the children of Israel had the ark of God, but they didn't have God. And so while they were going through the motions, they began to shout like some of us do sometimes. They began to shout. They began to yell. They began to, to go through all of the motions. And as they began to do this, is the Philistines heard this uproar and they lit into them. And the Bible says there was a mass defeat. And they left out of there wondering what has happened. This is a time where Phinehas had died, Hophni had died, which was the priest. And also um, the ark of God was captured and taken. That's where Phinehas' wife was saying the glory has departed. And so after this, they went through all of this, but there was no ark because the hedge was broken. And I came to tell you three things. Number one, God has a standard for service. The Bible says those who worship me was worship me how? In spirit and in truth. I'm trying to wrap this up. God has a standard for service. Number two, spiritual laws and principles. And this is really elementary. But spiritual laws and principles are in place to keep me safe. God is not trying to keep something from me. He is trying to keep me from something. Did you get it? He is trying to keep the enemy from coming in places that I'm, I don't have no idea that are lurking and waiting around. He's trying to protect me. So spiritual laws and principles are in place to keep me safe. And here's what the Lord said. Repentance realigns us with the heart of God and restores the hedge that sin are now at the breaking of principles removed. Repentance realigns us with the heart of God and restores, restores the hedge that sin, a breaking of the principles, remove. Well, what is a hedge? A hedge is a spiritual fence. It is a spiritual wall. It is a spiritual barrier that keeps me protected. It was said in the ancient time that there will be serpents, poisonous serpents, They'll be waiting on these rocks and waiting for the hedge to come up because when the hedge come up, these serpents will go in and they will strike their victims. And this is where the scripture says in Ecclesiastes 10 and 8, he says that he that diggeth a pit is there. He that digs a pit shall fall into it. And whosoever breaks a hedge, a serpent shall bite him. Did God do it? There was a breaking of a principle. God didn't do it. There was a breaking of a principle that caused this serpent to be able to come in and bite or strike the, its victim. And so we see this played out in the case with Job, and I'm wrapping up. When Job, the, it, Satan's God, he came before the Lord and he said, and God said, where are you going? He said, I'm going to and fro in the earth. 
seeking whom I may devour. He said, well, have you considered my servant Job? And he said, you have a hedge around him. You've blessed all that he's all that he has, his property, his possessions, everything that he has. And, and how can I go? How can I enter in? There are spiritual laws that we have to adhere to. And the enemy is le- a legalist. That's why the Bible calls him an accuser of the brethren. He's a legalist. He's trying to find legal rights to enter, to attack our lives. And so he said, look, I can't even enter because legally I can't get in. There's a hedge. Remember I told you the hedge is a wall of protection. There is a hedge that you placed around him. And I can't enter in this hedge. But he said, remove the hedge and he will curse you to your face. And God said, oh, okay. You think. I know Job. I created Job just like God has said to some of you. I know Rachel. I know Courtney. I know Greg. I know what they're going to do. I know how they're going to answer. I know how they're going to respond because they love me. So you can try to attack all you want to, but the end results, they have resolved that I will trust in the Lord. All the days of my life, though he slay me, yet will I trust him because I know who he is. I know who he is. I know where I stand. Christ, my cornerstone. So the Bible says that he began to remove the hedge and he did touch the things that Job has. He said, you can touch everything, but you better not touch your soul. You can touch anything, but don't touch his soul. And I just want to stop real quick. This is not in my notes to tell somebody that do not misinterpret the season that you are in. Some of you are feeling exhausted. You're feeling battle weary. You're feeling as if that I can't even make it to the next day. But the spirit of the Lord is encouraging you and saying that I have been bragging on you. I have been bragging on your strength. I have been bragging on your tenacity. I've been bragging, bragging on how much you love me and trust me. And the enemy is upset because you've been stealing praises. <laughs> you've been getting the attention of the Lord and the Lord says that the enemy is upset about it. But I came to encourage you this morning to tell you don't stop praising. Don't stop trusting. Don't stop believing. Don't stop coming. Come on. He has something that is specifically outlined. There is an expiration date on what you're going through right now. That thing has to come to an end. It cannot. It will not set the Lord last forever. Mm. So the spirit of the Lord begins to remove the hedge from Job and he began to touch the things that belong to Job. But Job, and we find, find out at the end that Job received everything that he had lost. He was restored. The Bible says, I think sevenfold. He had a sevenfold return of everything he lost. God gave it back to him. Repentance realigns us with the heart of God and restores the hedge that sin removed. And I know some of you are saying, well, what is the sin? What did Job do? How did, how did he sin? If you recall in that text, I told you that the enemy is a legalist. Job said out of his own mouth, the thing that I feared the most have come upon me. We got to be so careful not to allow fear to enter in our heart. In everything that's going on in the world, we are people of faith, not fear. The scripture says, I have not, there. Yeah. 
We are people of faith. The scripture says, I have not given you the spirit of fear, but of what? Power, love, and of a sound mind. We got to be mindful of the enemy's tactics. So the hedge was restored. So was Job. And as we begin to close out, I want to also say that the children of Israel finally, finally got the message that they needed to repent. They finally got it. And because this is not on the screen, I want to, if you allow me, just to read it to you because I want to show you how the hedge was restored and what happened. And we're closing here. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 7, 5 through 13, can you guys go there real quickly for me? 1 Samuel 5, 7, thank you. 1 Samuel chapter 7, verses 5 through 13. I just want to show you how they came back into an alignment. And our God is a God of redemption. He doesn't condemn us, us. He came to buy us back, to bring us back into right relationship with the Father. The Bible says there, Then Samuel told them, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. So they gathered at Mizpah, and in great ceremony, drew water from a well and poured it out before the Lord. Pay attention to that, poured it out. They also went without food. They fasted all day and confessed that they had sinned against the Lord. What did I tell you? Repentance realigns us with the heart of God and restores the hedge that sin removed. It was at Mizpah that Samuel became Israel's judge. When the Philistines' rulers heard that Israel had gathered at Mizpah, they mobilized their army in advance. They thought they had an advantage again. The Israelites were badly frightened when they learned that the Philistines were approaching. Don't stop pleading with the Lord on our God to save us from the Philistines, they said. They begged Samuel. So Samuel took a young lamb and offered it to the Lord as a whole burnt offering. He pleaded with the Lord to help Israel, and the Lord answered him just as Samuel was sacrificing the burnt offering. The Philistines arrived to attack Israel. But the Lord spoke with a mighty voice of thunder from heaven that day. And the Philistines were thrown into such confusion that the Israelites defeated them. The men of Israel chased them from Mizpah to a place below Bethkar, slaughtering them all along the way. Samuel then took a large stone and placed it between the towns of Mizpah and Jesenah. He named it Ebenezer, which means the stone of help. For he said, up to this point, the Lord has helped us. So the Philistines were subdued and didn't evade Israel again for some time. And throughout Samuel's lifetime, the Lord's powerful hand was raised against the Philistines, the Israelites' villages, near Ekron. And I'm going to stop right there. So I wanted to tell you that the Lord restored Israel. Why were they restored? How can I apply this scripture? He restored them as they began to implement spiritual disciplines. We've got one of the first spiritual disciplines that we've got to make sure that we're in alignment with. And I'm not saying that we need to be sin conscious. We should be more God conscious, but it's repentance. Because we don't know if we sin or if we 
mishandle something that God has given us, not steward something well sometimes. And the Bible says, repent and be converted. Why? When times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Some of the times we're in God's presence and we're not receiving the refreshing that he wants to give us. It's because there are some areas in our hearts, some areas of unforgiveness, some areas of offense that we need to repent and we need to give others that same grace. So repentance is one of the first spiritual discipline that we need to adhere to. What is repentance? It's changing my mind, which results in a change of behavior. A change, I know I thought it like that. I, I did it that way, but I agree with God concerning this thing. So repentance is changing my mind, which results in a change of behavior in prayer. Prayer is in its simplest form. It's just communication, conversation with God. My son and I was going over one of the things, um, the little Bible things that they have on YouTube. And it says that when you pray, your heart matches God's heart. So when we pray, we're simply just giving, giving our heart the opportunity to match the heart of God. It's just that simple. We don't have to complicate it. The next thing that we need to do that sometimes we shy away from is fasting. Fasting is making covenant with God. And it is increasing our spiritual sensitivity to hear God. It's not manipulating God at all. But as we fast, we begin to strengthen our spirit man and we begin to weaken the flesh. So those urges, those desires, those cravings that can't seemingly be broken through fasting, it will because you're making covenant with God and worship. Worship is our way of offering ourselves unto the Lord. It is a posture of the heart. It is saying, God, I make you the center of my attention. Another way that we can realign or implement these spiritual disciplines is through the study and the meditating meditation on the word. The scripture says, study to show yourself approved. We're going in the world. We need the word of God to be able to apply to the things that we are experiencing in our life. We don't need to go off our emotions. We need to know what does the word says about matters in our life. And the last and final thing I'm going to ask us to do if you want to apply this scripture, check your connections, please. Check your connections. Because reality is, it was Phineas and Hophni that were the problem. All of the things that they were doing as priests, and these people were connected to them, they were ungodly and they were immoral. The Bible says that bad communication corrupts good manners. You can be good, but the people around you aren't. So make sure that your connection is where God wants it to be. And it is with whom God wants it to be.